This is Coda Radio, episode 57, for July 8th, 2013. everyone, you're listening to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, contemplating and taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. We stream this episode live over on jblive.tv. This episode is brought to you by GoDaddy.com. I'll tell you more about our fine sponsor as the show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Hello, Chris. I have been assimilated. Oh, tell me about this. Yes, I, I have purchased a System76 Linux <laughs> laptop dun, 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 dun. live on the pre-show. So those of you who don't listen live, you missed a lot of shenanigans. That was actually quite fun. That was because we got to do a little tech uh, you know, rundown and everybody spec'd it out in the chat room and sort of verified your purchase. So you, yep. had, you, had, you had the collective consensus and uh, then you, you executed per the collective's command. <laughs> exactly. I, I was just following the orders of my Bork masters. Right. Well, uh, so uh, they're not a sponsor of this show, but I, you know, everybody knows I'm a huge, huge System76 fan. And you got the machine that I am jonesing for the most, the uh, Ultra Pro. So I'll be really, really curious to hear your take on that when you get it. You know, and uh, no, I don't really think we have time for it this episode, but uh, I got my Ouya, speaking of new hardware, and I played, sat down and played with it for a little bit last night. So that was fun. So I got some new gear too. So I'm, you know, I'm cool, right? That's kind of like keeping up with the Joneses a little bit. Chris, I sent you the order confirmation so you could go into their system and just, in fact, I spoke to a a lovely uh, account rep named Emma. I can give you her contact information. You can just tell her I want fingertip text unit. (laughs) She'll hook you right up. And and she was very helpful. Here's how the conversation goes. Be like, hi, Emma. Uh yeah, could you uh could you call up Mr. Dominic's order? Yeah, could you downgrade that? And just say, oh, you mean the jackass who upgraded everything? Yes, I mean, oh, yes. No, and then I'll say, okay, uh, could you could you see could you just one more of everything and then order that for me? (laughs) Well, listen, I I I I I did a good job on the upgrades. (laughs) Hey, you know, actually, I'm proud that you went SSD. So I went. I, I went hybrid though, right? So I did an SSD for the main OS, and I did a, a standard 5400 RPM drive for storage because yeah. I was a ton of crap I don't use often. Right, that's not a bad way to go. And actually, I was just talking about there's a you know there's ways to do sort of that uh, OS 10 fusion drive thing now in Linux too. So it's always kind of interesting. But uh, we have a lot to cover this week, and uh, we usually start with the feedback. Should we launch into the feedback? Let's, let's do it. Okay. So how do you suppose you say this first guy's name? Uh, Namaya? Namaya? What do you think? I've been saying to me, he writes in a lot. But he I does, I- yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, in fact, uh, he wrote in with a with a suggestion of getting a Google TV app on Ouya. And I, you know, that I'm an Ouya owner, I, Ouya owner, that's relevant to my interests. But that's not uh, what he uh, sent into this show about today. We're going to yeah. read, uh, I called it the leader of the DevOps revolution. He says, uh, hmm. I've been watching the DevOps movement, and I'm trying to bring that to my workplace. I used to be a developer, but they moved me to an ops position, and I took an arrow in the knee. Yet I'm still not a sysadmin. How do you suggest I get our developers to codify the development of their software? We only recently started using the continuous integration tool Bamboo 
not familiar. What's bamboo? I'm not familiar with it. Of uh, of Alasian, of the Alasian suite. Okay, we already use. Yeah. Should I push Puppet use even though all of our servers are fairly different? Or should I get the developers to use the de- deployment tools of their specific projects language, Python, IntroView, uh, PlusFlup, Ruby Bull, um, Bundler, or uh, Java Ant? We're using a lot of languages, but the majority here are Java War stuff deployed on Tomcat or JavaScript widgets. Wow. So he's got like three questions or four questions in this one email. That's a, you know, On nine lines, he managed to fit in like three or four questions. It's pretty dense. So what are your thoughts, Mr. Dominic? Yeah, so uh, first of all, again, not trying to be a commercial for Atlassian, but their tools rock. Uh, I use them all the time. Although I haven't used Bamboo yet, so I should look at that. Um, oh, Chris, breaking news. Emma just emailed me. I oh. swear to God. <laughs> I, I'm not lying. Oh, man, really? What'd you say? Yeah. What'd you say? Oh, I just said, by the way, I'm the host of Coda Radio and Jupiter Broadcasting. Uh, Chris Fisher from uh, Linux Action Show sent me. And uh, they said they were definitely going to check out Quarter Radio and to thank you. <laughs> oh, well, very good. Very nice. And uh, did you say, uh, did you also say send him a uh, Ultra Pro? No, I said send him the bill. Oh. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, well, okay. By the way, the wife approval on this is going to be uh, going to be a, a tough one considering her former employer. Well, here's my suggestion. First, show her the screen. Then show No, because the then she'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's even worse, right? You know, you're probably right, Mr. Dominic. Yeah. You're probably right. Uh, all right. Uh, so, yeah. I, uh, oh, here we go. It took Dropbox just a second, but look what I dug up for you. Uh, not bad, right? No, not, not bad. bad at all. Breaking news. Uh, so, uh, Namia, Namaya, um, uh, he, he wants to sort of push people in a certain direction here. Yeah, so this is tough. Um I don't know of a good answer to this question because it's, uh, you know, it's in a, another way to look at it would be avoiding hit by a bus syndrome, right? Which is something I recently had a problem with. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, if you have a developer who's a key player or just a culture of nobody likes to document or nobody likes to codify process, you're going to have to take it up and really take it up with management to have some sort of process. But then they're going to have to accept that having that process is going to lower output, right? In terms of actual code and progress. Which is where I think you start to hit trouble. Yeah. Um, so is, I, it, I, is it your observation, or am I maybe just looking into this too much, that in the last several weeks, maybe, maybe just mainly the last two, we've been getting emails from people asking how to change the culture of where they work. Yeah, a lot of things that are more process-oriented rather than, hey, I can't debug this or whatever. Right. Yeah. I just find that kind of interesting and, and uh, also telling that this is obviously a huge problem that uh, people who are developing at a desk face. Well, I feel like once you're out of that very beginner stage of your career, the technical stuff kind of becomes Googleable, right? Yeah. And also once, so you've does, seen f- yeah. once you've seen things a few times and you realize that sometimes things just work a little better in a group if people do things a certain way. Yeah. And when people aren't doing that, it's frustrating because you're like, I know we could be doing a better job here and it would be beneficial. I've seen it. Well, the problem is when, you know, getting back to our favorite word, stakeholders, Uh I don't know that you can, you know, I don't know what kind of organization he's talking about, where he works or anything like that. But if the organization is fairly mature and they don't have that process in place already, it's probably going to be really hard to get it in place especially when there's going to be that productivity dip. 
Yeah, and, and, and there's going to be resistance from developers who maybe have been working there for five years and have never had to document crap, right? Yeah. And, and, and honestly, because what, and I, I don't believe this, but I know many developers who do, documentation is just another way for management to, uh, you know, it's like reading commit notes, right? They can see if you're really doing anything. Um, now, again, I, I've, only, I've known a few who believe that. I don't think that's really valid. But the, the you, problem, the other problem with documentation, and one of the reasons I don't tend to write a lot of it, mm-hmm. I write as little as possible, <laughs> is because if it gets out of sync with yeah. the actual project, yeah. so like if your successor doesn't do proper documentation, then the documentation actually hurts the project. Right. This is actually my biggest problem with documentation, is that yeah. it so quickly falls behind, it, uh, and it becomes sort of this massive burden after a while too because it can continue to grow everything everything you add all of a sudden has this anchor of documentation that it drags behind it yeah and and, and, and honestly i'm uh i'm coming off of a contract in a few months that i've been on for almost um almost a year i think i've been on it for nine months now i'm now trying to document and codify for my successor and it, it's tough because the guy before me didn't like documentation well so not to not to make it about about me and Jupiter Broadcasting, but right. take my current situation. We were just chatting about it on the pre-show. Sure. Uh, ideally, I have a couple of things that I need to step away for for a couple of weeks. Um, I probably need some oral surgery, and um, I've been putting it off for a couple of years because it would take me off air for a week or two. Um, and uh, as I, you know, the longer I put that off, the worse that situation gets. Um, I also, you know, in in any day, my wife will be going into labor with our third child. Hopefully, not for about another three weeks, but she's in that she's in that range now. Anything could happen. Yeah. Any, and and again, that would knock me off air for a while, uh, for really kind of an unknown amount of time. I don't have anything documented. There's no way for a single show to go on air to get published without me being here to do it. Like, so I am not in a position where I can step out of this chair and have the network continue. If I get hit by a bus, my wife has a baby, I need oral surgery, the network goes off the air for the, that, however long it takes. And so you would think somebody who's worked in IT for going on 15 years now, who, right. who, de- you know, who, who deeply understands the need for documentation, but yeah, here I am doing my own business, creating my own things, my own processes, my own systems to do things, and I haven't documented any of it. And I hate to say it, but I, I kind of have the same situation. I have, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think what happens is you never expect something bad to happen, right? And you never think that you're going to have to walk away without, you know, you, you'll always take care of that problem later, right? Mm-hmm. And you get to the point where, oh, crap, um, it's too late. Right. So I think we've gone a little afield from. It's a little reactionary. It's people usually operate in reactionary mode. Yeah, and so I guess what I'm saying is, uh, it's one thing to say documentation and get all worked up about documentation, but I try to find a balance there. So I mean, obviously, there's I need to make changes and improvements, and if people were here, they would be very frustrated working with me on that. Um, and I so I can see where he's coming from in this email and why he wants to sort of change direction, why he wants to put he wants to codify processes and get people to do things together. And I, I totally buy it. But at the same time, I, I, I guess maybe because I'm um I'm 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 an old man and I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a curmudgeon, I, I kinda would just say if you have a good if you have a good resume, consider just looking somewhere else. That already has the culture. 
unless you unless you are the kind of person who wants to fight that battle and try to change cultures. Yeah, again, it's tough because honestly, I don't. You know, we all there's also the opposite problem of there's so much process and so much documentation. I think we made a joke about the change management committee last week, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I I feel like you're no one's ever happy where they are. Um. Yeah, I, I wish I could give a better answer. I don't know the answer, and this is something I'm currently struggling with. Because you could devote all your time to really documenting everything out and really being good for that transition or really being good for you know, building up a repository of knowledge, but nothing will get done in terms of forward progress. Yeah, and I, I, it depends on the, how much you want to invest in a place. Um, you know, if somebody, so yeah, like, I for mean, example, if somebody came into Jupiter Broadcasting and really had a passion to create, you know, documentation and processes, you know, and get all that stuff figured out, I would be really all in favor of that. So, oh, I'm not, I'm not completely saying don't do it, but I'm just saying make sure you fully understand that commitment and that amount of energy you're going to invest that isn't going to go towards making anything. And as long as you're okay spending your energy in that direction, then I say, you know, push in the areas you need to push. And like Michael said, do it maybe through management, you know, as much as possible. Um, well, as I say, if you don't do it through management, you're not going to get anywhere, right. and and you may be labeled a because trouble because of the cost yeah. to productivity. And and that's the thing: it, if management won't accept the cost to productivity, it, it's just not going to happen. And honestly, they're not going to care unt- until their lead player is gone, right? And then, oh my God, I need to whatever, right? No one knows how to do this. Yeah. Um, which is fine. Like, yeah, which, yeah. which, which, unfortunately, as a dev, you're not going to be able to uh, to do. But I, I, I hate to, you know, I hate to answer like that because it's kind of a crap answer, right? But Chris, I'm sad. Let's move on. Okay. Next email comes from Carrie. asks if Mike's ever been in a situation where coders reject progress. Uses Python, Python, Python three as an example. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. This was a pretty long email that I just summarized down. Uh, she's very upset. Uh, so apparently, the particular situation is that there's a bunch of Python developers who are clinging to Python 2.7 like their life depended on it. Uh-oh. No, I don't know enough about Python to make an intelligent call, whether that's stupid or not. I have, however, a different perspective on this, because I've been the curmudgeon refusing to move on. Mm-hmm. Uh so in the iOS space, when automatic reference counting first hit the scene, I was very reluctant to use it in, in any project that wasn't already wasn't new. Oh, really? Yeah, I was really hesitant about using that conversion. Did you, tool. Just, did you just figure it was buggy, or I was afraid if the conversion didn't work right, would it would it come out with all kinds of memory crashes and leaks? <laughs> yeah, a fair a fair concern. Eventually, a month or two went by, and enough people had already done it that I saw, oh, 99% of the time, it just works, and you're almost always better off. Yeah. So I ended up doing it, but sometimes the guy you think is a curmudgeon isn't a curmudgeon, right? Um, especially people who've been bit before mm-hmm. with these magical tools, or, oh, just upgrade to .NET 4.5 and everything will work better. So I don't know. The, the way I would get people to move on is, again, if you're in an organization that has management, make the business case, right? Because ultimately, the business case is what's going to win the day. Yeah, it's very true. You know, I've been in the position of the guy who's recommending the yeah. uh, the really kind of edge, red, new, uh, you know, like I remember uh, 
can't remember which version or when exactly in, in PHP's lifecycle where it, there was a change where there was a really minor incompatibility that you had to change a little bit of syntax in your old PHP code. And But we needed the features for something. And I was a real right. advocate of us moving to that new version of PHP. And there was a lot of pushback initially, but you know, eventually we had to make the transition anyways. So we did it and it worked out. But I've also been the guy who's like, I don't think I'm ready to deploy Windows Server 2012. Let's just hold back on that. Yeah. It's all about, you know, tell me, give me the business reason. Give me the reason. All right. So uh, our next, right, you ready for the next email? Let's do it. Our next email comes from Kevin and uh, he sent in, uh, I believe this is six days ago. He says, uh, hey, Michael and Chris, I've been a fan of Jupiter Broadcasting for quite some time. I've been listening to Coda Radio since episode one. And upon listening to the last episode, I have one question. I'm pretty new to web development. And I noticed you guys uh, downtrotting using FTP as a push into production. While I can understand and haven't used FTP for pushing myself, I'm curious as to what some good approaches are. My main uh, native development... Uh, sorry, the text is really small. My first native development was unpacking tarballs. Oh, okay. Then I tried using rsync with SSH as a method to update. Recently, however, I have just reorganized my own site, and I use a Git repo to give me version control and a push mechanism, as well as being able to easily roll back if something breaks. I'm curious to hear what the more popular methods are, as I can never seem to find out about it through my own research. As always, great shows, and I'm always learning a lot by listening. Icarus. Well, thank you, Icarus. So uh, he sounds like what he what he kind of landed on there at the end is kind of the method you'd recommend, right? Yeah, I would I would just say go ahead and do Git deployment, right? Uh, it, it's definitely the most modern way to do it, and it's you know, one good thing is that it's reversible. You can get revert. You can do a lot of ways to get out of a bad yeah. bad commit if you need to. Well, and you can see who made the changes, which is nice. Yeah, too in a team setting. So if you know your site gets to the point where you have multiple people working on it, or you change who's working on it, and you know you want to track those things, that's the other nice thing. Because whereas when you're doing an FTP upload, you just toss in a new HTML or PHP or whatever it is file up on the server, and you know you, there's no there's no accounting for that. There's no great way to roll back from that unless the person made a manual backup or you have some sort of backup system. Yeah, you, you nailed it, Kevin. Um, the next, the next line here. I don't know. Tell me about this one, Mike and NDAs. You, are you under NDA? Yeah. So I've got a lot of feedback from people asking about iOS seven and like what types of projects am I currently working on and, and what am I doing. Uh, so I can kind of answer some of it, but I so like iOS seven is under NDA, right? Yeah. And I just wanted to go into like I know that a lot of other folks have broken that NDA, right? Oh, yeah. I also know that some of those folks would never actually face a sanction. And I'm not so sure that in this particular case, I'm, I would be immune. Yeah, they can be selective. Yeah, so I'm not going to... Unfortunately, I'm not willing to go ahead and bend or break the NDA. Inappropriate? Uh, yeah, that would be inappropriate. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to follow the letter of the law. And I, and I understand. Like, I had someone write me and a couple people Twitter me. You know, well, you know, someone who likes French pressed coffee has no problem talking about it. And these other guys have no problem talking about Hello, it. Hello, everybody. And, yeah, and Obama has no problem. Well, Obama is different. I... My experience and from what I know about the way Apple operates is... It depends on who you are, right? 
Um, and due to some of their actions in the past, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't get a free ride. So hmm. I am sorry, right? I'm not. I'm not trying to flatly ignore people who write in about that. But and, that's, and a, that's an interesting me. thing because are you getting people who are writing in and they're trying uh, to develop for it and they have some well, questions? I'm getting people who are like they're thinking of moving to iOS, but they're concerned about iOS seven and they want to talk about it. I can't talk about it. What do you think about this whole NDA uh, stuff? Is this, you know, I actually think it's, it's fine, but it should be for everybody. Why is it fine though? Like what is the benefit? So, so let's, let's look at the Coda radio show as a business. It's really annoying that, you know, technically our competitors can, and I know it's not that competitive of a business, right? Because people listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. And with, with some certainty, safely break this NDA and talk about these hot topics. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I, I feel like if I did, there would be serious repercussions. No, I, I know. I get that. But w- yeah. why do you think having, why does Apple need to have this NDA at all? Why not have, why not have it? Well, it's weird because you could say, oh, because, you know, Android copies them and they don't want to be copied. But, you know, any Google developer can just go ahead and pay the $100 and sign up for the Apple Dev Pro. Right. And they show the best stuff on stage. Right. So they, so. they've already kind of, so like it's this weird thing where I don't, I don't really see I'm not I maybe like before the internet was a thing I could totally understand how you could kind of keep a lid on it with this NDA business. But nowadays it's it feels like it's something out of the 80s. It really does. I'm not getting right. it. Like I know yeah. Google does it to an extent too like with some of their manufacturers like uh, Honeycomb, right? They developed right. that sort of under NDA. But I don't feel like it's quite the same thing. I feel like once a beta version has been announced of Android, it's pretty much out in the public and people can look at it, they can review it. And to me, that seems like that sparks a dialogue. It gets people talking about it, probably spurs development. It lets people, you know, like people who who maybe are considering starting to develop and get some questions answered before they jump in and, you know, pay a hundred bucks or whatever. It just, I don't know. It seems like an yeah. out, of, out of date style, but... Um, I mean, I guess I've kind of gotten used to it and accepted it, but I mean, Cheeseburg says it's so that they can get developer input, so that all of their stuff comes out as high quality. But wouldn't you just argue if you remove the NDA, you'd get more people testing it, so you'd work out more bugs? I mean, we've all seen Apple iOS releases that come out in final, and they have to do a quick point release because of some battery bug or something like that. So it's not like it—they don't need more testing. Yeah, I, I'm really not sure. Um, I mean, you're right. If they're going to put something on stage, why the hell is there an NDA? Well, if you're going to make anything that's kind of consumer-oriented like this, it seems like, I don't know, what, but whatever. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I just, a lot of my frustration with these now, with, with these big companies ruling these platforms, is that they're really not equitable. They're tyrannies. Right. They, they and really are. They are. It, it's awesome. Like I have clients who are in their good graces and love them and have a rep and everything like that. And it's fantastic. And then I go back to my own stuff and they don't really like me. <laughs> like, you know, I submit a client app. It's reviewed in 36 hours. I do mine. It's reviewed in 30 days. And I submit them on the same day. It's like, you know, I don't. You start to wonder if there's not some sort of repercussions for certain things I may say or do. And I know Brian Lunduke has had some negative experiences with them as well. Um, 
oh, who is it? Jeff Atwood wrote a great post about, and it's not just Apple, right? Microsoft is this way too, and, and Google is getting there. Uh, serving at the pleasure of the king. You kind of see it in Google in a in a little more benevolent way. Like people who who really uh, people who Google probably trusts. You know your Trey Ratcliffs, um, you know your Robert Scobels, um, your Mike Elgas, El- Elgin. Um, right. They get they get special Google treatment. They get the glass. They get flown over. You know to see uh, the the loon balloons and take pictures. They get kind of like this. Now they don't, but they don't necessarily begrudge those who are not Google lovers. But they definitely lavish those who are. Whereas Apple's model and now and Microsoft as well as you know as the hosts of Windows Weekly will will bemoan basically every single week. Uh, both Apple and Microsoft, if you speak ill against the empire, they will shut you off and they will blacklist you. And they will, and, and the reason they do that is they try in, in the case of these journalists is by cutting off their access, they can't write about as much stuff. So they don't get the leads. They don't get the exclusives. They don't get, they have to work so much harder to get those, that kind of, right. and, and, it, and it gets to the point like, so before the Mac pro stuff, and I'm not going to name names here, but you know, there's a lot of discussion about what the quote Mac, you know, elite wanted. And then they got the exact opposite. And no one was willing to write a really negative uh, piece about that. Well, and look what all the good things like uh, iOS has been set afire. It's a brand new opportunity. Yeah. Uh, and, and when in reality, it sounds like when you break it down, and this is me saying, I haven't had, I haven't had any conversations with you about this. Uh, iOS 7 sounds like it not only has serious flaws, but it looks like it has major battery issues. And there's some basic UI concepts that sound like they just don't plain work. But these guys that are talking about iOS aren't saying any of that stuff. And the reason is, is because if they did, they'd be cut off. And the reason why they're not bashing yeah. the Mac Pro is because if they did, they'd be cut off. And the same thing applies to developers. If you get out there and you really harsh on the way that something's implemented or the way some process works, like the App Store, you get cut off. If you're a podcast and you complain about the way iTunes works, they remove they remove you from the featured listings. It's it's a system, and which, it, everything's which, which moving that have, direction. Which they have done for the show, but not about the featured list. Um, I, and again, I'm not. It, it sounds like conspiracy theory, right? It it's their it's their privilege. It's not right. a democracy. It, they're a business, and you know it's their property. It's of course not in their interest to have the media, you know, reporting on them negatively. So they use this as a way to get rid of those journalists. Um, I don't know how we got here. Well, uh, the question was about NDAs, and the problem is that these control of these new platforms that right. where a lot of the development is happening are being controlled by these companies that if they don't like your app or they don't like what you're doing, have the ability to essentially wipe you off the map. And to be fair, I also don't break NDAs for clients, so yeah, there's that. But it's a weird world uh, that we're in now. You know, everybody, I, th- I think a lot of people thought that we were going to get a uh, you know, a more open world with the web. The internet was going to open it all up. It was going to level the playing field, right. And then they ended up creating these silos based on the internet. Which is, you know, kind of the way history always kind of has gone. Yeah, and really, it's it's actually more controlled now. And, and, And to be fair, you know, having these app stores has definitely helped. Yeah, I mean, I go back to the days of before app stores. You had to get these horrible distribution deals where you made very little money. They might even completely rebrand your product. And then they put it on the shelves in yeah. Best Buys and, and, and CompUSAs to sell for very little profit. I mean, this, at least now, in a sense, you have been provided 
a storefront for the world. Yeah, and it, and it's telling that you know when, if I may have pissed them off in the past, I just had to deal with thirty day review times. They didn't actually pull anything, right? Right, right. So that that, that shows a little bit of restraint, elected restraint. Right. I mean, it, it's it's moderation, and there could be reasons why one took longer than the other, but. It has been my experience that, you know, if you have a rep from a vendor, you submit an app to that vendor, you can get an under 24-hour review. But if you don't, you're in with the rest of the unwashed masses. <laughs> so I, I don't know where that leaves us. It, it's strange because it, it's, especially since I'm a supporter of some of these more closed policies, right? I, I you know, I'm the one who wants the Ouya to have a kid section. But, uh, yeah, we, we should move on because this okay. is just, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, it was a good thought. And so those of you who've been writing in asking about those things, now you know why Mike's not answering. So Donald uh, writes and he says he's concerned about getting a job in the software industry right out of a university. Yeah. So this is going to lead into our main topic. Uh, I've been getting a lot, and I'm sure you see it too in IT, Chris, of college students concerned about the whole offshoring thing, right? Okay. Are there any jobs left for a junior Java developer? or for a junior C-sharp developer or whatever? I, I think the, the answer is unequivocally yes. Uh, but I would say that it's a different world, right? Yeah, with, with a sort of uh, um, maybe a, limited, a more limited set of options or requires, or requires maybe a little more, well, you know, you sort of a little more selection of, your, of, the, of the path you're going to take. Yeah, you definitely want to be a little more careful about where you're going. For instance, a company where software is just a cost center, so it's just a support role, is going to place less value on software developers, right? And the same goes for IT, I'm sure. Well, you know, Mr. Dominic, business? we should take care of a little business before oh, we jump right. into the main topic. Uh, so there's a tease for our topic. And I want to uh, take a break right here before we go into that and thank GoDaddy for sponsoring this week's episode of the Coder Radio Program. And it is a new month. July, if you didn't know, uh, by the way. It, we, yeah. Anyways, new month, and so we have some new offer codes from GoDaddy.com, and this one's a good one, especially for something that maybe you're doing private, maybe a blog or something for the summer, something temporary. You don't want uh, people getting your information. Sort of like maybe if you're a race car driver, and you're actually also the creator of the number three most popular app in the Android Play Store. Maybe you didn't want people to know that, so you wouldn't want some guy to say it on, say it on the air. Oh, oh crap. Anyways. What you could do to prevent that from happening is use the code FREE5 when you check out and you'll get free private registration with a .com for a year. That's a great deal. Free private registration for one year. Use the code FREE5 when you check out. Maybe uh, maybe you're not getting a .com. Maybe you're going to get something a little different. You know, GoDaddy has a ton of other tools and services available that maybe you've seen and thought about trying out some email hosting, online file storage which is great if you want to upload a large file and have somebody download it. Maybe you're working on a project where you need to exchange things like that. Or maybe you'll actually want to step it up to a full email calendaring system hosted with uh, uh, exchange-like functionality. Go check out some of the different things they have and use the code GO32OFF4 on whatever you decide to get. If it's hosting, a package, a website optimization, GO32OFF4 will save you 32% off a new product. You don't even have to be a new customer anymore. They've dropped that requirement. It's just any new product Go32 off 4 will save you 32%. So those are the new, two new codes I got for you this month. Free 5 for, pre, for free private registration with a .com, free 5, or Go32 off 4. Go32 off 4 for 32% 
on your order of something new when you get yourself something nice over at GoDaddy.com. And thanks to GoDaddy for sponsoring this week's episode of Coda Radio. There. So now I have officially taken care of a little bit of business. So this problem, when I when you when you initially mentioned um, outsourcing during the pre-show, you said, hey, we're going to talk about outsourcing today. Uh, the first thing that I even just blurted out loud, sort of obnoxiously, was, oh, you mean to India? Right? Oh, you mean yeah. to China? Yeah. Which is not actually really what you meant, is it? Which is not accurate, right? So outsourcing and offshoring are – offshoring is a type of outsourcing. And, uh, you know, so when somebody hires myself or Chris, they're they're outsourcing, right? And I'm not in India. And I'm not in China. Huh. Though I, I do want to build a great I don't world. actually know that for sure. <laughs> that Wait, no, China. that's not true. I've mailed you parts, so I do know that for so sure. <laughs> or I may have a re- remailing system right. going on. Right. Yeah. Are, are you in Hong Kong by chance or maybe in a, a Russian international airport? Ed, Ed, oh, he left again. <laughs> yeah, he's he's kind of camera shy these days. I, I don't know what's up. Yeah, no, yeah, I've noticed that. Yeah. No, uh, so, and this is a hot topic and it's going to raise passions, right? Yeah, because a lot of people think their jobs are going to this kind of stuff. And in some cases, they are. Yeah, in some cases, they are. It's unfortunately true. Yeah. Now, I would say, in the case where someone's hired myself or Chris, no one has realistically lost the job. Because usually consultants who are local cost more. Right. Or about the same, right? The offshoring thing is a little touchy because... You know, I'm noticing a lot of backlash against it now where people just say, oh, well, you know, developers in insert country here are terrible. Well, that can't be a true statement, right? Right. It's just not possible. Right. It doesn't, that's not actually how it works. But there is certainly, and I've dealt with this personally, a class of offshore. So there's, okay, so let's talk about the most obviously kind of bad offshoring, which is where a local developer will pretend like he's developing your application and we'll offshore it or subcontract it to someone in a foreign country who's charging a lot less. That's bad, right? Um, mainly because you may have hired that developer off of a reputation, or maybe you heard him on a podcast, or maybe he you know, was at a user group or something like that. I would say that that's unethical, and I don't know how Chris would feel about that. but Yeah, he- you know, so here's the scenario, you know, here's what I think probably happens the most often is you have a company who's working on a component of an application or they have guys there locally working on the UI front end side of it, but then they just need a real simple back end Java server. And so I've seen that, I see that kind of work sent offshore or, uh, or, 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 or a web project was working on a, on a specific way to do markup in images so that, you know, you display a PNG image in the browser and then you use a set of HTML5 canvas tools to to be able to draw lines and circles and squares over top an image. And they're like, oh, you know, our guys could work on this, but we'll send it over here. They'll work on that component of the project for three weeks and then send it back to us. I see a lot of like that. So a little smaller scale offshoring these days. Um, yeah. And then, you know, when it's something that's a little, little larger in scope, I see more local. Yeah. And I don't know about the morality of it. That's, that's extremely tough for me to call because as a business, well, I, I, I could see it. I mean, I, I could see outsourcing a little bit to somebody cheap to write, you know, something for Jupiter Broadcasting. I mean, I feel like it, it's fine unless you're doing this thing where you're selling yourself as the reason someone should hire your oh, company. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I, this year, I mean, every year I get a number of projects where where, where that happens, right? Where someone 
claims to be doing the work, and then they look in the server logs and, uh, oh, look, it, you know, we've logged in from a different continent to do this work. Yeah, there was actually a story that we covered on TechSnap about this guy who was outsourcing yeah. various aspects of his job and still collecting a paycheck. And I, uh, you know, I think he'd be hard pressed to claim that that's moral, right? That yeah. that's that's a that's a proper way to do business. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you there. Now it's interesting because in sometimes in media production houses in editing like suites, you hire an editor, right? And he's supposedly the guy that's going to be working on your project. But then if there's motion graphics involved, a lot of times they'll outsource some some element of the production, um, right. and it's still billed from the original house. So it, it kind of depends on the culture too and and the area of business. But for software development, if you are going to a client and you then take the work on yourself and then outsource that, like you're like just like an intermediary that's just sort of connecting the two parties, but claiming you're the person doing the development, that's exactly, absolutely immoral. Exactly. Yeah, I feel and I feel like that's happening a lot. Really? Right. Yeah. Um, in fact, I had a project earlier this year that that straight up happened. Like. That is literally what the guy was doing. He was charging the rate of a of a iOS developer in New York, and paying someone in a foreign country like a third of that. I don't know. I mean, I I could see how well you know it's okay to hire people in a business, but uh, you know that seems a little dirty. Now there's the other type of outsourcing where you know a company will straight up outsource their IT department. Right, so they'll just contract another company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how I've, I. I think that's okay, right? I don't think there's really a problem with that. I guess it kind of depends on you know the the company, but I I've been in the position where I've come into a company they don't have any on-site IT. They'll have uh, somebody yeah. who's like maybe their savviest of the savvy users, and they'll kind of be your contact point, and then you'll go in there and. You know, once some some places it's on demand, some places you know you set up these routine visits. You come in once a week, twice a week. Um, and you kind of do it, you're their IT guy for that day. And for a lot of companies now, because stuff just kind of works, it, that's really kind of fine. And so there's not really, there's not a job you're taking in that case, because there's not a full-time job for that, for that business to do that. Now, there have been, I have been in position several times where uh, I've said, you know, this is a full-time spot and I need to step back. And then I've just worked with them to hire somebody. And then that's not even because I'm a super moral person. Because I usually would push it out as far as I can to try to make as much revenue as I can. Sure. But it's, you know, from t- my time and my commitment to my other clients, that's kind of just what I have to do in order to yeah. make myself available. And I, that's usually the way it works. And well, I, I still I'm, don't. There's, think- no, there's no moral aspect to it. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't know if I'm still following the moral argument. Well, I'm so the moral argument is not from the contractor perspective. I'm thinking from the company, right? Okay. So, is it moral to claim, let's say, if you hired me to do a project? And then I just was a middleman and had someone else do it. Right, I agree. No, it's not. That's what I'm saying is immoral. Yeah. Now, but there are cases where subcontracting is okay, right? Let's do give me a project. I'm like, well, Chris, I'm not sure about my availability. I can do definitely part or most of it, but I may have to subcontract. I will manage the subcontractor and we'll bill you through my company and we'll just work it out that way. Right. Or, hey, I've got this whole front end thing built out and figured out. I got a spec yeah. for what I want the back end to be. Can I get you to work with me on that? Something like that. Right, or I mean, sometimes I brought in back-end developers because I just can't do both at the same time. There's a lot of, of times I'll come in just to help somebody who's got a who is a developer who needs a server set up to host their stuff. And I think that's fine as long as you notify the client. 
So I guess, but see, like in the case of Donald, see, Donald's looking at this from a these a are new student, right? Yeah. These are jobs that I could be doing. Hello, I could be doing these jobs. Don't don't so don't give them away to contractors. Unfortunately, there's two problems here. A, the whole offshoring thing, I think, has been overblown. Most people aren't losing their jobs to offshoring. Uh, they're losing it to visas, right? Like if if they're going to replace you, they're probably going to bring someone in in house where they can pay them less anyway and have them because lots of businessmen like people to be in the office. Yeah, I kind of feel like the uh, remote worker thing was like a big kind of trend, but it's kind of fizzling a little bit, and they are doing a, a lot little. More. Yeah, other than startups, and it's starting to die a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's still alive. Yeah, for that, I just meant like yep. in the you know we're a business here in the states, and we have people that sit at desks, and we like to have everybody here, and we bring them to and, meetings, and 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 that's probably. I mean, not to get too political, but you know, Facebook, Microsoft, Google, and a number of tech contracting companies are supporting uh, the expansion of H-1B visas, right? right? Right. And unfortunately, it's a, you know, those are where you would be in danger if you're a native undergrad. Uh, because unfortunately, the way those visas work, which, not to get too political, should probably change, is that if for any reason the employer is not happy with you, he can revoke your visa. Right? He can fire you and your visa's done. And what I'm noticing is that the folks who are on these visas are working ridiculous hours and are making a little less. They're not making half like they would if they were overseas, but they're making a little less, but they're working twice as long. Yep. And they're basically, it's 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 like a form of indentured servitude. And The Verge actually had a good post about this uh, last week, which you should definitely check out. Yeah, this is a... Um... Yeah, and this is, and again, this is purely a U.S. problem right now, right? Uh, because this law is obviously a federal U.S. law that, let's be honest, given the wealth of the companies behind it, is going to pass. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's been and, uh, there's been paper in the in the local papers here and uh, local radio stories about how Microsoft just has so many open positions they can't seem to fill, and that they're desperate to. to it's it's funny because they're so uh, they complain about that, but. You know, I could go in with a portfolio of software I've developed on Mac and iOS, and they would not give me an interview. Right. And, and uh, I don't have a computer science degree, and I didn't graduate with above a 3.5. Right. So there is a thing. This, this kind of goes back to some of the problems with those companies. But the real issue is those companies aren't the ones abusing th- these workers, it's the consulting firms that are really, really abusing them. Uh, you know, they hire them and, and they always say, well, we, we're paying the same or close to the same as what we pay local workers, but they're working 10, 12, 14 hour days on the norm on salary. And <sighs> they're not really getting much vacation time, right? Or, and, they're, or they're getting vacation time on paper, but they're strongly discouraged from taking it. I mean, we're definitely going down the political route here, but the, right. the bigger, longer term ramifications are is it sort of devalues – the rest of the software industry uh, well, it's, it's downward. It's downward price pressure. Um, and the Verge's point, I think the title of the article was The Disappearing Middle Class of, uh, of Technology Workers. Because what it does is you have these rock stars who are making you know, 200K because they have PhDs or whatever. But the middle class who's in the, you know, the high double digits or the, or the six figures just about are going to be knocked down, right? Right. So this is sort of Donald's concern. Right, and, 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 
And I hate to break it to you, Donald, but there was a time when you would have gotten out of college with a software degree and made at least $50,000. This is one of the reasons I kind of switched gears in my career is I kind of saw this going as I became more of a contractor. I kind of saw the way the winds were blowing, especially for IT combine that with cloud hosted solutions where, you know, email can be hosted, document management can be hosted, the phone system can be hosted by by third party companies. The role of IT is dwindling. Um, not in not in large corporations, but in the kind of businesses that I wanted to work in. So I really see a world where a lot of people are contractors, a lot of people sort of independently employed, taking multiple jobs, sort of managing yeah. their own business. And coming right out of university, I don't know if that's a if you you know that might be too soon. But it yeah, seems to me with to this kind that. of downward pressure, that almost becomes a person's only defense. Right, because you can still charge a reasonable rate. And you're, you're a temporary expense for most of your clients, right? Right, and you can have multiple clients, so you're not dependent on any single. And, and more importantly, they're not paying health insurance. They're not paying vacation time. There's no sick leave, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good deal for them. Yeah, it, it, it ends up working out for everybody, which is fine, right? So that would be one solution. But ultimately, I hate to say it, but I, I, I really don't like to go the unfiltered route, but I think if you're a software developer and you have a family, you need to seriously consider writing your congressman about this law, right? Because it, it will negatively affect you. And if you're overseas and thinking of coming to the U.S., you, you, promises are promises, and right? They're not. They're not going to be followed through on. And I, I I'm sure there. Are, I'm sure Microsoft and Google and Apple are, are all good for their word, but a lot of these consulting firms, in my experience, aren't. Do not treat their foreign employees well. Yeah. And the fact that the meme that uh, that the companies like Microsoft and Facebook are pushing, and they're, they're actually saying they can't find enough qualified U.S. workers because our education system is too poor. But- so I have been uh, – so a very large tech company has called me six times for the same job in the last three months. And each time I laugh and I'm not interested in the job, but I said, I said, why do you keep calling me? You know you won't hire me. And she said, well, what do you mean? You went to a good school. You know, we, you are public. We know all your work. We've, we've seen the show. I said, well, did you pay attention to what my degree is actually in? And I tell her, and they're like, oh, well, thank you for your time. Right? It, it's that kind of artificial standard that's uh, causing. So they're setting a standard. So they've, they've picked a standard. To, but see, the thing is, like, these, the, a lot of the skills you right. need to do these jobs are not necessarily taught. I mean, in some universities, they are. they're not taught at all. I mean, my, I, I just recently hired one of our listeners and uh, he's doing fine, but I, I'm having to teach him a lot of the practical stuff. Right? A knowledge of mathematics is virtually useless for most development. Right. Uh, so, you know, if you it, it'd, be, it'd be better if they taught you Git 101. Right. You're right. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> forget calculus. Let's do Git. Like, <laughs> I mean, because only in the extreme cases is that going to matter. This is a really dicey uh, future for developers when you kind of have this. So I don't think it is. I think right now we're seeing, and again, I don't want to hit this hard, but I've had a few clients who have been defrauded by offshoring too, right? Because again, an American lawsuit doesn't travel or an English lawsuit doesn't travel very well to Asia. Yeah. So there have been cases where people have done no-show hours, no-show workers, things like that. Things you would think Tony Soprano would be doing in construction, right? I, it's it's sound, you're laughing, it's funny, but it's a reality. When you're when you're dealing with people that you can't actually subpoena, 
or bring to court. You're kind of, yeah, you kind of, you can be, uh, you can be taken advantage of. Yeah. I mean, you're, you know, it's, it's one thing to go from the U S to Europe because we can, you know, we can pretty much sue each other all day long. <laughs> Yay! Uh, but once you get out of that very friendly relationship, although not so friendly recently, <laughs> you, uh, you're in a little dicey area, right? Yeah. Uh, cause you know, a summons from New York to India is not going to go over very well. So you think there might be, again, a sort of an uptick trend, and then it's going to... See, what I'm more worried about is what you're talking so about, bringing I'm them noticing, here. I'm noticing the uptick trend in development, but I, I still see most of the IT admins are getting screwed. And a lot of them have gone your route, or I guess it's my route too, mm-hmm. where they've said, you know what, you're working me 12-hour days, I'm just going to go be a consultant, make virtually the same money, or more in some cases. Yeah, I don't necessarily know if that's a bad future, because if these are... Uh, if these, if if by doing contracting work, you kind of get to be a little more selective about what you do. Not always. Sometimes you end up, especially early on, just having to do anything you can. Yeah. But you know, at a certain point, you'll get to kind of be a little more picky and choosy about what you do. So then you end up working on the things you actually want to work on in most cases, yeah. which is a lot better than having to work on stuff you hate doing. So is it necessarily a bad future? Maybe, maybe, um, maybe not. Maybe there's certain well, jobs there's, in the. There's still going to be downward price pressure if these laws pass, and yeah, well, these laws are going to pass. I mean, it, it, it's a done deal, right? Yeah. Everybody wants these laws to pass. Well, and they've been except, setting it up for the last. Except for most software directors I talk to, do not want these laws passed. And what's interesting is most of them I know that are on these H one visas are very upset with the way they've been treated and do not want these laws to pass. Hmm. In fact, I know one guy who wrote back to his brother, "Don't, don't, don't come to America." You're you're better off at home. Like, just don't come. And, and and I have nothing against foreign developers. I do have something against the way they're being taken advantage of, though. Right. Right. Like they should pay them the same if they're bringing them to the to the native country. And you can't ask them to work twelve hours a day. Is is the software development field just becoming um, more commoditized? Is it just is yeah. it just a matter of this is not considered to be such a specialty anymore? Well, it. it certain aspects have become commoditized, right? And you see this a lot in back-end Java stuff, in .NET stuff, where, you know, so there are still very few ways to offshore an iOS app and actually get something that you can actually publish on the app's back. Right. Um, but it's just the never-ending wheel that if you want to, you know, the newest technology is always going to be wherever it was developed first, in the case of iOS, the United States. Uh, canonical. I'm sure there's a lot of Ubuntu developers in England, right? But the older stuff is definitely like I don't know how I would sell a .NET contract right now, with the exception of maybe WinRT, right? And so the problem is, is you always have to be jumping ahead. You always have to be kind of right. You're, in the you, contracting gig, you kind of have to be specializing on the next thing as it's coming up, right? That's yeah. a little bit different of a gig than when when you work at a job. You could work at .NET. You could work at you know your dot, on your .NET project for ten years. <laughs> and this doesn't mean that the .NET jobs are going to go away, right? It just means that when you're getting into .NET and if you're thinking of breaking out as a consultant, be aware that since the companies are going to have the option to outsource, even if they're not serious about it, they may use that as a bargaining chip and tell you that in meetings, right? Well, we were going to outsource this position, so I hope you can meet those rates. All like it that. really takes. And this is exactly what happened to me is I worked for a company that was 25 years old and said in 25 years, we've never laid someone off. You have a job here for as long as you work and as long as you keep doing a great job. And then one layer of management, just one layer of management changed. 
and they outsourced my position and laid me off. Yep. And this was a company who in the 25-year history of the company had never laid anyone off. One layer of management comes in. They laid off, I, I want to say it was like a team of six. I was one of the six. Just right there in, 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 in basically a three-month period. So, you know, it can happen to anybody. It can happen to any company. And so when they have the option to offshore, if, you know, if, if, the, right, if the right bonehead comes in and thinks he's going to save a bunch of money or change the, you know, the, the pace of development or shake things up, it just takes one, one right boneheaded series of decisions and everything and, and, I, and I think we're approaching this very negatively. There are certainly reputable offshore companies. Uh, you know, the, the problem is I find a lot of, the, there are valid reasons I even think to offshore. You need staff augmentation. You don't have a budget. You need it very temporarily. Go ahead and offshore, right? The problem is these people don't have budgets for the project they want to do. They're looking to cut the cost. And I've had a few, I've just seen a few relatives, friends, whatever, do this and get bit because, you know, I give them a bit of a hundred hours you know, at a rate, and then they go to an offshore company, it's half the rate, but turns out that their estimate was wrong, in quotes, and it's twice the hours. So, where does that leave them, right? It, it's almost, I almost feel like if you're offshoring for purely financial reasons, then you should reevaluate if you should do the project. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good I mean, point. If it's if it's if it's that you don't have ten thousand dollars to invest in an app, then you you just can't afford to run and maintain an app. Right. Right. I think. Yeah. I I think you know back to Donald's original point. I think it's something to be worried about. But what he you know if you're if you're taking the right path at the time, and that's going to be where whatever the right path is at the time you get to that point, you just have to yeah. kind of watch the industry. Uh, you probably will get a job. You probably will. You'll be, you will be fine. But yeah, if you go to something pretty- that's been commoditized, that's where you're going to have real serious drop down competition for that job. Well, no, I mean, you could even get a job as a junior Java dev today or .NET dev today, but you're probably going to make in the low 40s or, or high 30s, right? Instead, to start, you're going to make you're going to make less money. Yeah, and it will depend on your local economy too. So in the Midwest, you'd make even less. Um. Which is fine. I mean, that's a reality of that type of business. And also, there, there are certainly reasons to take less money if you like the type of business, right? Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. do it all the time in game development, where mm-hmm. they take less money because they want to work on games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe you like the person you work for. Maybe you think this company's going places and they've given you equity. So it, I don't think the uh, you know Donald should be certain, overly paranoid. Just understand that you know, if you're working on a commoditized stack, you are going to be competing with offshore, especially if you decide you want to strike out on your own as a consultant. And it doesn't mean there aren't successful .NET consultants either, right? I mean, Rob Connery before TechPub still does .NET consulting, to my knowledge, right? They they do exist, but there are a .NET culturally is a much older, much you know, there there's not too many consultants in .NET who are in their early 30s or late 20s, right? Usually in their 40s, 50s. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, it's just know the culture of the stack you're going into. Understand that if a stack is a, you know, is used in enterprise and banking, it's going to be commoditized. Because think about it from the offshore company's perspective. Why target something that only a few people are doing? Why not go for the biggest thing you can get and get, you know, hundred thousand dollar contracts instead of ten thousand dollar contracts? Right. 
um, they're at the, they have to they have to work at such a scale where they have to scale. They yeah. they care about scale. They don't want one or two man teams. They want twenty man teams. Right. And and I think there's a place for all of it. I I do think there's a lot of abuse in the visa system, and and not and it's not on the part of the pers- people coming over. That is, I sh- you know what, Chris, we're, we're going to call this unfiltered for the day. <laughs> Unfilter radio. Yeah, I, I think that is where there needs to be a little bit of sanction, right? There needs to be a little bit of because it, it's it's not right. Right, like, it's, the, it's the companies using their political influence to get the laws changed in such a way that they can well, bring it's in. Funny. It's funny. Google says they can't hire anybody, and then you look at the requirement. Oh, must must have you know this GPA and this. Is that relevant? Well, we feel like it's important, not super relevant, right? You know, and it's interesting too because um, both Google and Microsoft have had statements. Google more recently, where they said, you know, uh, we have found that asking these crazy questions doesn't really indicate anything. Yeah. A lot of times, we have found that different levels of education don't necessarily indicate anything. But I will tell you, I this was years ago was interviewing for a job at Google. And when I got to the point that I didn't have um, any college um, experience, I had like, you know, uh, work had sent me to community college for things and stuff like that, but no, no, no majors, nothing, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time in college. That was the point where they got, okay, well, they literally said to me, well, we're going to, we're going to continue to look for other candidates to let you know that's something that, you know, puts you at the back of our list. And then I never heard from them again. I had a similar experience with uh, Bell Research Labs down here in New Jersey. I got through three rounds of interviews, finally talking to this guy, and he asked me about college. You know, you know, I guess they assumed that I had taken computer science, even though it didn't say that on my resume. In fact, it said English literature or medieval literature, however I put it. And when he realized that it didn't say computer science, he straight up showed me the door. Yeah, it's, they're artificial. Yeah. There are artificial it, requirements. It is a straight up... I mean, and there are cases where it matters, right? Where the mathematics stuff matters. But I think it's hilarious that this large tech company had a job for an iPhone app developer. And they were more interested in calculus than design. Like, are you guys nuts? <laughs> like, right? Like, are, are you crazy? So does the, does the future of uh, large money in, in development uh, belong to the contractor, do you think? Unfortunately, I think it belongs to the large contracting firm, whether oh, yeah, it's yeah. domestic or foreign. Yeah, I, I think you and I are going are going to feel a squeeze in the next ten years. Oh no! I was hoping you were going to say uh, nothing but uh, prosperity yeah. and growth. No, because I think you and I are going to be in the position where we we're going to be, you know, for a while we'll benefit because the large contracting firms will subcontract to us when they really need to bring in a lead or, or someone right. like that. Right. But then they'll just straight up hire someone on, or they'll try to hire us or buy us out. Well, I wouldn't mind getting bought out. Right, but they'd they'd want a contract for you to work for them for X years full time. You'd put on a suit and tie, and you'd drive to work, and you'd polish the car on lunch, Chris. Well, that all right. Well, maybe I'll just move to India, and then I'll just work (laughs) for one of those firms. (laughs) All right, Mr. Dominic, where should people follow you throughout the week? They can follow me at DominicM.com, new with Google Ads. Whoa, look at you making the big bucks now. Now you're going to show up in their search index. Watch how that happens. All right, everyone. Well, don't forget, Coda Radio is live Mondays, 9 a.m. noon Eastern over jblive.tv and jblive.info for the audio edition. You can email the show. Let us know your thoughts on these topics, Coda Radio at jupiterbroadcasting.com, or pop that contact link at the top of our website. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>